Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing Eat, Pray, Love. Eat, Pray, Love was written by Elizabeth Gilbert and was published in 2006. And the film adaptation was directed by Ryan Murphy. Yes, that Ryan Murphy from American Horror Story and Pose and a bunch of other TV shows and uh, came out in 2010. And um, this is a very special episode, not in a good way. <laughs> yeah. um, I have COVID. Mm-hmm. So officially. Officially. And I pretty much unofficially have COVID. I have not been tested yet, but But we're we're gonna Ian's gonna get tested today, most likely has COVID also. Um and very congested. It's so funny the trajectory of us gonna record this episode because <laughs> yeah. our whole plan was we're gonna record this episode early, get it done before the holidays because we're going to have family visit us, then we're going to go visit a ton of family, and we're going to do all these things for the holidays, right? So we were so ready to record. Yeah, so we were supposed (laughs) to record a week ago. Yeah. It is now December 27th? Yeah, 6th. No, 7th. 7th, yeah. yeah. And um, so we're like, you know, we got the book read, we got the movie watched, and then the next day, you weren't feeling so good. Yeah, I was sick. And I was like, well, let's wait a day, you know, it's probably nothing. Yeah. And then the next day, you still weren't feeling good. And then I was really tired. Mm-hmm. Although I wasn't really getting my symptoms yet. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, <laughs> just. <laughs> and then I confirmed had COVID and I was very sick all Christmas week. We canceled all of our Christmas plans. Uh, didn't see anybody for the holidays, stayed home. Um, we are still quarantining at home to be safe. Um, you know, we're not going into work. We're not even out to get food or groceries or anything. Everything's being brought in. We're being very safe, as safe as we can. But yeah, it's the unfortunate reality that (laughs) now we're at the point where I'm like, Ian is starting to get more sick maybe, and we don't know. And I'm like, I feel like we have a window of time (laughs) where I'm feeling a little bit better and Ian isn't feeling too bad yet. So like, this is the only time we have to record this episode. (laughs) Also, it's been... A week since we watched the movie. Yeah. So if we're a little blurry or fuzzy on details from the movie or the book. Yeah. It's because it's been a little while. And or I, it's the COVID. Or it's the COVID. <laughs> <laughs> fucking with our heads. Uh, and I just didn't want to go any longer without discussing this episode. Yeah. Uh, and forgetting like even more stuff. Yeah. So um, I just apologize if we sound really congested and stuffy and you know we are going to try to muffle our coughs as much as possible and you know we are still here to give you the best content that we possibly can and we really do want to do this episode um it's really exciting and a listener requested it our listener uh darren uh darren i'm sorry if i'm mispronouncing your name uh requested this episode but yeah it's been it's been a time (laughs) (laughs) it's been a roller coaster i mean it like kind of worked out that we got all of the legwork done before you got sick and we still have time to record and get the episode out so it kind of and like it's funny too because you know we we picked this episode because it's coming out right before the new year's because we're like new year yeah you know resolutions a fresh start yes and now i'm like (laughs) maybe we'll emerge from 2021 like emerging from our COVID, our COVID cocoon <laughs> to be reborn into the new year. I'm not, I'm not getting too excited. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it's been a, it's been a tough year. Yes. So. Ending on what just feels like a, a downer, uh, a downer, some kind of poetic <laughs> note. I don't know for us personally. Yeah. 
So let's jump into this story. Yeah. Uh, it is a, a memoir, mm-hmm. I think, is probably the best classification for it. Yeah, like a travel memoir. Yeah. Uh, written by... Elizabeth oh, Gilbert. Elizabeth Gilbert. And so Liz is a writer. This wasn't by any means her first book or, you know, foray into writing. She, she writes for, like, magazines, I think, mm-hmm. and I don't know what her other works were uh, I think she this. wrote a work of nonfiction and then maybe some fiction as well. Okay. Yeah. So she's a full-time writer. This is her career. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we get a glimpse into her life a little bit uh, at the start. She is married. Yeah. And her and her husband have a kind of plan to have kids, yeah. you know, settle down to a degree. They've bought this house. Um, I guess the general plan she talks about in her book is when she hits 30, then they'll have a family. Yes. But then she hits 30 and she does not want to have a baby. No. Which, you know, I think in her head she was like, well, when I'm in my 30s, I'll definitely want that. Like, I'll want to settle down. Maybe, like, my body will be like, have a kid, have a kid, you know, and I, I will finally be on that path. But, you know, she finds once she gets there that it's not what she wants. And in the book, she actually talks about, like, trying to have a kid for a while. Yeah. And luckily not conceiving. And I say luckily because it's clear that she does not want to be a parent. No. And you should never become a parent just because you think that's what you should do. Like, you should only do it if you really want to have a kid. But I mean, the pressure, especially on women. Yeah. That like, oh, you'll want one. Like, you know what I mean? Just give it time. And like, uh, you really do sympathize with her kind of like finding herself in the situation where like, She's basically dug herself a hole. Yeah. And she can either just, like, descend further by Mm -hmm. having a kid and doing this life she doesn't want or, like, trying to climb out of it. Yeah, the book is interesting. It basically, so the book is split into three sections, Italy, India, and Indonesia. And we kind of start right away in Italy. But actually, a lot of Italy is her giving us a a lot of backstory on her life um, and filling us in. And the movie kind of waits to take us to Italy. And we get this whole chunk in the beginning where we find out about her marriage Mm -hmm. and then eventual disillusion of the marriage and how she decided to go on this trip. And she, it's really kind of... Weird, and I think the movie kind of struggles with this on how to portray the husband because the book, she specifically doesn't really mention why she and her husband break up besides the not wanting to have kids thing. Yeah, she's like, it's kind of like way too much to get into this. That's not what this book is about. Like, I can't really, I don't want to get into it. So she's like, I'm just going to say that like the marriage was, you know, it was good at one point, but then it got really bad. Yeah. And... So the movie has to depict the husband, you know. They don't yeah. want him to just be some shadowy figure. Mm-hmm. And the direction they go with is he's just kind of like an incompetent <laughs> idiot. Yeah, kind of riding on her coattails and mm-hmm. on her money. Yeah. Um, And being like, I'm a pastry chef. And then thinking he wants to be a teacher and then being like, I should get my master's. And, and we find out at one point he did one semester of law school. Yeah. Just kind of like, he just seems like such a doofus. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think in a later flashback, we can see how he was maybe charming. Yeah. But he's just kind of really unlikable mm-hmm. in this opening part. Yeah. That it, <laughs> I think it breaks you away a little bit from like sympathizing with her. I agree. Because you're like, what did you... Why s- did you choose him? Why this man? <laughs> yeah, but the movie just has to kind of make up a reason since Liz doesn't really give us one in the no. book as to why they break up. Um, 
she goes to Bali at some point during this time and meets this medicine man there, uh, Katut, and he greets her palm and tells her that she will come back to Bali. And this kind of plants the seed in her mind that she should do some traveling, um, but she can't yet because she's in the middle of an awful divorce. Yeah. Something that uh, surprised me about this book was that I was expecting that, you know, it was about kind of a very uh, everyday woman who decides to go on this trip out of yeah. the blue. Uh, but you quickly find out, like, no, she's actually really well-traveled. Yeah. Because she traveled a lot for her work. She's mm-hmm. been to Russia, to China, to Africa, she mm-hmm. says. <laughs> yeah, all of Africa. You know. Um, But, like, you know, she's been all over the world. Yeah. So that took me a bit to, like, wrap my head around because I'm like, okay, so what makes this trip, you know, specifically interesting, you know, impactful to her. Is it just that it's a year? Is it the intention that she has for this time? Is it the place that she's at in her life that she's kind of in crisis? Yeah. But I agree with you. Like, it's not like this woman has never traveled the world before and (laughs) hasn't visited many cool and interesting places. So you're like, well, why do we care? Yeah. Now, she hasn't been to, I mean, she was, she was in Indonesia. Yeah. But I don't think she was ever in Italy. No. And I don't know if she ever went to India I, I can't, don't think so I'm not sure but so like yeah it did kind of like undercut it a little bit I was like oh okay this woman who's already gotten to experience so many places in the world is gonna go to more places in the world mm-hmm. um but I mean I do think given her situation with the divorce her kind of like yeah. trying to you know find herself a bit mm-hmm. it does give it a context that's interesting yeah and it's worth mentioning too that she gets the money to do this trip mm-hmm. for from a publisher because she pitches them the idea for this book so she's literally like hey i have a great idea i'm gonna spend a year traveling to these places i'm like this newly divorced woman who needs to find like the zest back for my <laughs> life you know And she's already an established writer. We know that. And so the publisher gave her an advance and a lot of money in advance to finance this trip and then for her, like, paying ahead of time for her to write this book. So, again, this is, like, not something that anyone would be able to do the way that she's doing. Yes. And I also think it's worth – on one hand, I – respect her for being upfront about that yeah you know what i mean but i do think because i mean like i think a lot of writers wouldn't like divulge that information because it does bring it to question like okay you know she obviously has a life-changing experience on this trip like according yeah. to the book yeah but like she kind of has to well yeah how much <laughs> of an agenda does she have yeah. going into this trip i mean if she doesn't have some interesting things happen to her the book is not going to sell yeah so and i'm not saying that like you know she's fudged things or has like you know and and all writers will embellish a bit or kind of like find a narrative within a mm-hmm. real life story like it's not unique to her being paid in advance on it, but, you know, it does raise a question of, like, it, it adds a layer of um, skepticism, I think, when yeah. reading it about, yeah. you know, how genuine it might be at points. Switching gears a little bit, um, she's also recently come out of not just a marriage, but also a very intense affair that she had with um, this man she calls David who was an actor performing one of her short stories. Is that true to the book, too? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And she meets him, and they kind of have this really passionate 
romance where the two of them are instantly connected. They feel like so um, in love with each other. They have this beautiful summer, she describes in the book. And then like reality starts to come in. And like, it's really, again, hard to say what's actually going on between them because she doesn't really dwell on it a lot. But it does feel like this is a toxic relationship and that she is using David to escape her marriage and the stress of her marriage. And then she finds that this relationship cannot sustain her. Yeah, I like in the book she describes it as she'll become too clingy. Yeah. And he'll pull away from her or he'll pull away from her, which causes her to be clingy. And she's like, I don't ever know which one begins the cycle, but Mm -hmm. that's always like their dynamic. Yeah. That keeps kind of happening. Like it'll start good and then go into that. Mm -hmm. Uh, David in the film is played by James Franco. Yeah. Who I, I I mean, I know he's kind of a piece of shit in real life. Yeah. But I think he's like perfect casting for this character. Oh yeah. Cause he's like definitely the type of guy that's like, Oh, I'm an actor. And you're like, no, (laughs) (laughs) or he is like a guru like james franco would have a guru you know definitely and he is charming to you know to a degree in the movie and Mm -hmm. you know handsome and you would get why she might fall for him so yeah um good casting i would say in that i do feel like it's a little bit of a hard sell in the movie because i mean the book is able to explain to us how this happened Mm -hmm. but the movie is basically like she's married now she's divorced she's with like david now they're not together you know it's like kind of a lot at once yeah i kind of i don't know like maybe the movie should have tried to like explore that more in flashbacks maybe i don't know yeah because like i understand how that could happen and i think the book describes it well but on the other hand it does seem like you know okay, if she's willing to bounce in and out of a relationship after her marriage. Yeah. Like, is this trip any different? Is it her just once again trying to escape in a kind of, like, misguided way? Yeah. Uh, I I don't know. It just kind of, like, leaves you with some questions, I'd say. Yeah. I also want to bring up um, Viola Davis as, like, one of her best friends in the Mm -hmm. movie who she talks to about her crumbling marriage and then crumbling relationship with David. (laughs) Um, Viola Davis is basically there to just be like, oh, uh, that sucks. I have a baby and a husband and a normal life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, she's fine in the role. I mean, Viola Davis, as we know, is an amazing actress. Oh, yeah. She, you know, she's the the friend in it. She does well enough. Uh, Actually, there's like a lot of really... Oscar, a lot of Oscar nominated actors in this movie. Yeah, which is odd. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I still can't get over Ryan Murphy directing it. I know it's bizarre. I'm not like I don't watch like a lot of his properties or shows or anything, but Mm -hmm. like he seems like such a stylistic director or like creator. Well, and he hasn't done very many movies. No, like two or three. I know originally there was one director attached to this film who dropped out and then somehow Ryan Murphy became attached to it. But I could I didn't find a lot of information on it. Yeah, but it just doesn't. I don't know. It's not what I would expect. No, like when his name popped up in the credits, we were like, Ryan Murphy, certainly not has to be a different. Not that Ryan Murphy. And (laughs) yeah, yeah, it was. (laughs) Let's go to Italy, though. Oh, God, Adina. Yes, the I know. Eat. The eat. I the need eat part of I eat, need pray, the love. Eat. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, yeah, if you could do just one of these experiences, eat, pray, or love, which one would you do? You know this. I mean, yes. uh, our audience probably may not. It's eat. It's, <laughs> it's eat. eat. Especially because it's in Italy. Yeah. You and I have wanted to go to Italy for a long time now. Yeah. And this did not do anything to dissuade 
that opinion. No, the movie is basically like gorgeous shots of Rome, gorgeous shots of pasta, gorgeous shots of cheese. <laughs> it's just like there's one part where Julia Roberts is just having this like orgasmic experience with pasta as like yeah. opera music is like playing in the background. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh the Italy part is very interesting, and yeah. I, I'll, I'll say probably I think my favorite part of the book. I agree. And it, it's also when we're getting a lot of backstory, so I feel like there's a lot we're learning, not just about what's happening in the present, but she also kind of goes back in time to talk about her marriage and relationship with David. So that kind of keeps you interested because there's a lot going on. She's in Italy. She's learning Italian, which I think is interesting. This was something that when she was really depressed – from her marriage and relationship issues, she decided to try to learn Italian because it made her feel happy. And like we learn a little bit about Italian too, that like the standard form of Italian was only kind of solidified in the last few hundred years and that they kind of picked like the prettiest dialect yeah. of all the different kind of cities in the in Italy's area. And Dante somehow the, yeah. the writer had a big part in like shaping the mm-hmm. national version of Italian language. Yeah. But I, I loved this part of the book though, like finding out the history of this. And she does write about kind of the history of Italy to a degree. Like it she doesn't yeah. get super into it. Yeah. Um but she does kind of like cover it a little bit, which I liked in, mm-hmm. in the language and yeah, it, it's it's really good. There's a cast of characters that she meets in Italy. Uh, Sophie or Sophia? I can't remember which one it is. Sophie? Sophie. Sophie, yeah. Sophie, um, who's from Sweden, who's in Italy uh, for vacation time as well. And she meets Giovanni, who is her Italian language uh, partner, where they, they talk to each other to try yes. to learn American and Italian. Uh, she meets Luca Spaghetti. <laughs> Okay, here's my question. Yeah. At the very beginning of the book, right? Yeah. She explicitly says, I have changed everyone's names. Yeah. uh, Except for Richard Richard from Texas. Texas. She's like, I changed everyone's name. Then she gets to this part and she's like, his name was Lucas Spaghetti. I swear to God. Yeah. That sounds made up, but it's not. So I'm like, but is it or is it? Maybe she just changed the first name. Maybe. Or was his name like. Luca Ravioli or <laughs> Fettuccine. <laughs> Fettuccine. Was it something equally as absurd? But I like really wanted an answer to that. Yeah. Who is Luca Spaghetti? <laughs> Who is Luca Spaghetti? I must know. <laughs> and they, they kind of do a lot of fun stuff together. She and uh, Sophie get pizza from Naples, which is supposed to be the best in the world. There's this part where she and some friends go to Luca Spaghetti's house and they have Thanksgiving dinner there. And I love this part in the movie, too, because they actually try to make the turkey. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that was funny. They, like, cook it. Because Luca doesn't put it in the oven early enough, so then they end up cooking it overnight and eating it the next morning. Yeah, because he's like, I want to have a traditional American Thanksgiving, but he doesn't defrost the turkey. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, how long could the turkey take? Like, an hour? She's like, hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that gathering was was cool. I like that scene. Um, I really liked a lot of the commentary Liz gives on, like, Italian versus American ideas of relaxation. Yeah. Because, you know, she talks about, like, the American work ethic and how um, 
people in America feel like they need to earn their free time. Yeah. And that it's like this luxury. Mm-hmm. Whereas people in Italy are like, of course I'm going to relax. Yeah. Like they work hard, but they're like, I'm not going to like kill myself. Like I'm still going to yeah. take time for me and enjoy my life. Mm-hmm. And I think some of this dialogue from the book is given to like characters like Lucas Spaghetti. Yeah. He has the whole Miller. It's like Miller oh, time. Miller time, yeah. And he's like... <laughs> He's like, you have to be told when to relax. It's Miller time. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I think that um, a lot of this was interesting because it is really relatable. Yeah. Right. To like, you know, we're American. We know what the work culture is like. Yeah. And we don't th- get very many vacation days. No. And and so to like get that perspective on how people in Italy view leisure. Mm-hmm. I think Luca also says you've perfected entertainment, but not leisure yeah which i think is accurate yeah like needing to be constantly entertained when you relax instead of just doing nothing and they they, in the book and movie they talk about the art of doing nothing and enjoying that and just taking pleasure out of like the simple things in life um and i i do think that was a really cool part of this book and movie getting Mm -hmm. to hear about that and think about that and liz is sort of taking that as an assignment for her life at this time. She's like, I've had so much stress and achieving and like so much going on in my life. I need to just rest. Yeah. And eat pasta. And I'm like, I understand. <laughs> I would also like to rest and eat pasta. <laughs> I know. It, it, it does touch into that idea, though, once again, of like, you know, she is in a very privileged position yeah. to get to enjoy this experience of, like, mm-hmm. not just a vacation to Italy, but, like, months in Italy yeah, of just enjoying the culture and learning the language and, mm-hmm. like, um, but I don't think she ever approaches writing this book from the point of view of, like, this is self-help, like, that this is what no. you need to do. No, To I think people maybe... Uh, recommended this book in that way. I think it got talked about in that way, almost as if it was a self-help book. Yeah. Um, But really, I don't think it's written in that way at all. Like, I think she's very aware of, you know, her own privilege in this situation. Yeah. I do want to talk about, so she talks about gaining weight in Italy. Like, she's eating a lot of pasta, and she talks about how much weight she's put on. But then she's very quick to also be like, well, I lost a lot of weight during my divorce, because I was so stressed and I wasn't eating and it wasn't good. So really, I only gained like this much weight because some of that was like coming back from the divorce. Yeah. And like, I don't think it's discussed in a healthy way, mm, honestly. Like, yeah. especially her being like, well, I gained this much weight, but I was gaining some of it back from here. So it's OK. And like, I don't know. It just was a little bit weird to bring up at all. Yeah, because like you said, ultimately, the message isn't like good it's more like well i'm still hitting that that median weight that i'm like you know yeah. aiming for yeah i think the movie probably does a better job of it because mm-hmm. at one point she's eating pizza with her friend sophie and her friend sophie is like oh my god like i've gained a lot of weight yeah like on this trip and she's like self-conscious of it and and i think 
Liz is the one who's kind of like, ah, don't worry about who it. Who fucking cares? You yeah. know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. just enjoy your time. Yeah. I don't like the way that she phrases it, which is like, has a man ever told you to leave when you were having sex with him? Oh, and I'm like, she does say that. <laughs> so why don't you frame your body positivity from the lens of like whether men accept you or not? Like, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Not great. But the sentiment is good. The sentiment but is the there. way she says it, I did not. Like. It could just be refined a bit. Another thing I want to talk about is um, Liz really struggles with like anxiety and depression and she specifically in the book, this is not in the movie at all, talks about how she got so depressed with the divorce and everything with David that she was actually at the point of self-harm. She did not self-harm, but that mm-hmm. she was at the point of self-harm. Yeah. And a friend intervened and was basically like, we need to get you help. Yeah. And so she went to therapy and she ended up taking antidepressants for a while. But now she's in Italy, and she's very adamant that she does not want to take the antidepressants. Yeah, and she kind of frames it from the point of view of, like, she kind of just weaned herself off of them or stopped taking them and kind of, like, overcame them. Yeah. And I think that's a very... Not that you can't do that. But I think she didn't talk about it in a very nuanced way. Yeah. And and that, here's the thing, like with taking antidepressants, like some people take them forever, right? Yeah. Because they're like, I have chronic depression. Like it's something that I'm always struggling with. And then some people take them for a time because they're going through a really hard time in their life. And then they may find that they can go to a lower dose or maybe even stop taking them completely. But I don't think she was phrasing it in that way. Yeah. She was basically kind of being like, I don't know. To me, it made it sound like she was implying that she was weak for taking them and that she could overcome them. Yeah. If she just meditated more and like loved herself more. Yeah. And this kind of, you know, this part maybe goes into the idea of like, she's not (laughs) really acknowledging that like, wow, I might be able to do this because of this amazing trip scenario that I'm yeah. on where I get to relax. I mean, I know she is writing and, you know, she is doing work to a degree, but mm-hmm. like she gets to do this like really amazing thing. And it's like, well, you know, if that's part of you, part of the reason why you're getting off antidepressants, I think you should be a little bit more explicit about that fact. Yeah. And also, Without sounding so, like, proud of the fact that you stopped taking them. Yeah. Like, it sounds like you're really like, oh, yeah, I don't need them anymore. Like. Cut to her throwing them in the trash. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it just, I really did not like the way that this was presented. And, you know, I think a lot of attitudes have changed. You know, we're talking, this is 2006, right? Mm -hmm. And there was definitely more of a stigma for depression at that time. And, like, I think. We've progressed in a lot of ways, but as someone, you know, like me, I do struggle with depression. So, like, to hear someone be like, oh, yeah, and then I just, like, told depression to leave. Like, he was a... (laughs) She, like, personifies depression as, like, a man in her house. Like, it's a really dumb ad for antidepressants, you know? It's like the little, like, uh, animated character that's, like, (laughs) sitting on your shoulder or something, and then she just just shows him the door. I'm just picturing the Mucinex guy. (laughs) It's like the only one I can oh my God. imagine. <laughs> I mean, if depression were personified, it might be the Mucinex guy. It might guy. be him. <laughs> but no, I, I, 
I totally agree. And I mean, even today, like we just watched a movie, big blockbuster film that touched on uh, kind of antidepressants and depression, yeah. depression and like didn't do it very well. I know. Like, I still don't think we know how to talk about this. Yeah, I just want a better, a better portrayal. Yeah. I don't know if it's like, oh, going to therapy and relying on this thing isn't a character overcoming something. Yeah. Or it doesn't seem that way on the surface. Therefore, people don't want to write about that Mm -hmm. or depict it that way. I'm not sure what the issue is, but like we really get very few good examples of someone utilizing these tools effectively. Yeah. And it not being depicted as them like being weak or giving up or anything. I agree. Let's go to India. Yes. It's time to pray. <laughs> <laughs> it's time for the pray. Yeah. My least favorite of the eat, pray, love. Yeah, it's hard. I would probably agree. Um, I think the problem with this section is that Liz goes to uh, an ashram, mm-hmm. which is uh, the this place that her guru runs. Uh, this was David's guru. She stole it from David. Um, <laughs> and this is like a retreat center. Like people apply and pay to go to this place. You spend a certain amount of time there meditating and praying and working in the ashram. Like she ends up scrubbing floors to contribute to uh, just the running of the place there. And um, people go there, you know, for these meditation retreats, basically. Yeah. But the ashram is very closed off from the surrounding area and India in general. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of the people who are at the ashram come from all over the world. Yeah. I mean, the closest acquaintance she makes there is Richard from Texas. Yeah. You know, another American. So it doesn't feel like as... And I, I think she's aware of this, like, in both the Italy and Bali portions of the book, she gives some historical context to the area and the country. Yeah. She doesn't do that for India, which makes sense because she's not really experiencing India no. in the same way she did the other countries. And originally her plan was to go to the ashram for a few weeks and then spend the rest of her four months, because she's in each place for four months, Yeah, uh, traveling around to different holy sites in India. But once she arrives at the ashram, she kind of realizes that she needs to stay there for her own spiritual journey to happen. Um, So she just stays there the whole four months, which, yeah, I mean, what is there to talk about? She talks about meditating a lot. She talks about all the intense meditation experiences that she has, including having like blue electricity flow through her. Yeah. (laughs) Once again, it's like this becomes like really hard for me to connect to Mm -hmm. and i mean like i think meditation is a great tool for people yeah for a number of applications you know like i think it's like even the tiny bit that i've done in my own life i have found like helpful you know and i don't i haven't even stuck with it at all but i think it's good and effective but besides you know beyond that i still reading this was like this is a lot for me to kind of like absorb and accept and mm-hmm. relate to and understand. Yeah. Because it's so much about meditation and it gets into this really heavy, like you said, like blue energy running through her body. And I, I, I don't know. I'm like, I don't know what this is. Yeah. I mean, I think the parts where she's talking about her struggles to meditate were relatable. Yeah. You know, trying to quiet her mind. And we get this through like voiceover in the movie and mm-hmm. I think that's done in an effective way where she's sitting there trying to quiet her mind and her mind is like 
ooh, I should like have a meditation room in my house. Like what, what will I make it look like, you <laughs> yeah. know, going off and she's like, shh, shh, <laughs> like trying to quiet her mind. Um, and I found those parts relatable, but yeah. And then she just ends up talking a lot about like, oh, and then I was like totally still without making any like movements for two hours or like I went to the meditation cave and I was in there for like five hours and I didn't even realize it or like I was chanting and I found myself at the feet of God or like something in the universe. And I felt like I was part of, you know, I'm like, all right. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Not that I don't believe in it. It's just, I don't know what you want me to get from this. (laughs) What am I supposed to do with this? No, I mean, for real. Yeah, no, I agree. And I almost felt like it was, and I know it wasn't, but maybe this is just me feeling defensive from this. But it almost felt like she was like, I'm better than you. (laughs) And I'm like, I mean, I know that, but. (laughs) Adina, she's not better than you. No, but yeah, like, and I think it's just like, you know, the book is divided in these three parts. And this whole middle part is this ashram. It's meditation. It's, you know, this spiritual journey that she's going on. And it's just very dense. Yeah. With that. You know, she does have some different people that she talks to. There's there's Richard from Texas. There's mm-hmm. Tulsi. Um, but, like, and, and I do think, too, that there is a certain self-awareness, both in the film and book, yeah. kind of about spirituality. Like, oh, yeah. At one point when she first arrives there, her roommate is in a state of silence, you mm-hmm. know, a vow of silence for however long. And she's, like, sign-languaging Liz and the the uh, guide that she's with, and when the woman leaves, Liz is like, "What did she say?" And he's like, "I don't know." <laughs> <laughs> like, kind of acknowledging that, like, there is a silliness to a degree, yeah. especially from an outsider's perspective, to some of this, um, which I appreciated a little bit of that. But, um, yeah, just it's it's a lot, it's a lot, yeah. And I don't know if the movie knew what to do with all of it either. I agree. Uh, Richard from Texas, let's talk about him. He plays a very big part in this portion of the story. Yeah, played by Richard Jenkins in the movie. And he's kind of somebody that Liz finds inspiration from. They kind of encourage each other on their meditation journey. In the movie, their relationship seems a lot more antagonistic. Yes. Like he's kind of just yelling at her a lot. (laughs) (laughs) He's really much more obnoxious. Yeah. It feels like in the movie. And I mean, I love Richard Jenkins, the actor, and I think he does a decent job with the character. Mm -hmm. Um, But he does, he is kind of too much at a lot of points in the story, I think. And I understand why they wanted to like create an antagonistic relationship because when she first arrives at the ashram she is struggling yeah with meditation and spirituality and he's kind of personifying that mm-hmm. uh but it's still kind of annoying yeah uh we do get a really interesting scene with him in the movie that's yeah. not from the book where she is talking to richard about trying to forgive herself and let things go and this is definitely something that she is kind of focusing on during her time in India is letting go of the relationship with David and then also letting go of the guilt and pain she felt over her marriage falling apart as well. Yeah. And so Richard, and I would love to know if this story is true and just wasn't in the book. Yeah. Cause you know, she says Richard from Texas is the only person she didn't change 
his name. And I mean, I guess he doesn't have a last name. So. Yeah. But like, I could see him still being in, because I know, I think Richard Jenkins maybe got to talk to him. Mm-hmm. So like they might, he might've been involved to some degree with like, you know, the making of this movie. I'm not sure. But yeah. anyway, this story he tells is about him coming home one day when he's drunk mm-hmm. and his child is playing in the driveway. And the way he builds up the story, like, you're like, oh, my God, he killed his kid. Yeah. But he didn't. Yeah. But he was like, I could have. Mm-hmm. And his wife left the next day, and he's still grappling with that mm-hmm. emotionally. And Richard Jenkins fucking knocks this scene out of the park. Oh, yeah. He is so good in this moment. He is really good. But kind of just talking about his own journey and why he is trying to learn how to forgive himself as well. Yeah. And trying to encourage Liz to do the same. Yeah, I really liked this scene in the movie. And I think I think it added more weight to his character, especially because they were so antagonistic in the movie. Yes. It helped a lot. Um, we don't get this in the book, but it does seem like they help each other and they encourage each other on their journeys through meditation. And like we didn't mention this in the Italy part, but Liz has at this time sent David a final breakup email. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Being like, we should just end this. Like, let's just end this for good. Yeah, because, like, it's that kind of relationship that she has fallen in and out of, like, multiple times. And I think she needed to put, like, a final period at the end of it and be like, we have to end this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then she meets this teenage Indian girl, Tulsi, and she's not really a big character in the book at all. No. Um, but the movie kind of shows us how she's being forced into a marriage that she doesn't want. Mm-hmm. And then we get a whole scene where uh, Richard and Liz go to her wedding. Yeah. And I don't, like, it, it's kind of acknowledged in the book that... You know, she, this girl is a rebel. She doesn't want to get married. Yeah. But she probably will have to be. And yeah. so, like, that, there is a precedent for it. But, like, in the movie, they're at her wedding. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this seems really sad. sad. <laughs> right? I know. And Liz is like, I think you're going to be really happy. I've been praying for you in my meditation and, like, envisioning you happy. It'll be great. And then it kind of serves as a vehicle for Liz to remember her own wedding. Yeah. And I'm like... I don't love this. No, like Tulsi just becomes a, like a a stepping stone on her journey to self-discovery. Yeah. Which is kind of a problem. Yeah. But we do get this flashback scene to her wedding with, you know, her husband. And it seems like they're very happy and they're doing their first dance. Um, And this kind of leads her to the rooftop scene with Richard from Texas And then also leads her to try to have this kind of meditation moment where she forgives herself and her husband and lets go of the marriage. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's pretty effective. It's pretty touching. And, like, I think the movie does kind of as much as it can to give this section, like, a narrative arc. Yeah. Even though in the book, like, so much of the story is, like, meditation, self-actualization, like all these... Discussions on religion. Yeah, all these really deep philosophical, mental and emotional things that are hard to convey in a film. Yeah, and just to like kind of close out this section, I do want to read a part from the book that I really liked and it was kind of discussing religion and um, rites specifically of religion and kind of like ceremony and the importance of it. Um, So I'm just going to read a little bit. Uh, The Indians around here tell a cautionary fable about a great saint who was always surrounded in his ashram by loyal devotees. 
For hours a day, the saint and his followers would meditate on God. The only problem was that the saint had a young cat, an annoying creature who used to walk through the temple, meowing and purring, and bothering everyone during meditation. So the saint, in all his practical wisdom, commanded that the cat be tied to a pole outside for a few hours a day, only during meditation, so as to not disturb anyone. This became a habit, tying the cat to the pole and then meditating on God, but as years passed, the habit hardened into religious ritual. Nobody could meditate unless the cat was tied to the pole first. Then one day the cat died. (laughs) The saint's followers were panic-stricken. It was a major religious crisis. How could they meditate now without a cat to tie to a pole? How would they reach God? In their minds, the cat had become the means. Be very careful, warns this tale, not to get too obsessed with the uh, repetition of religious ritual just for its own sake. So I thought that was really great. I love that part part so much. Um, And I loved that section of the book. And I, I feel like... You know, a lot of this was really thoughtful and interesting, um, and I appreciated it, like that part, but it did just, it was just a lot of it all at once. Yeah, I feel like if any part could have benefited from, like, being interwoven with, like, more elements of her past and kind of breaking it up, it was this part. Definitely. As opposed to, like, the Italy portion. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, it's honestly just such a dramatic shift. I think the movie, it feels a little bit more of, the flow isn't broken, but in the book, it's like, now here's a totally new thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> for 100 pages. <laughs> and we're back. Uh, we took a short break because I literally had to go get my COVID test. Uh, not, to, not to jinx it, but I'm feeling pretty good about it. <laughs> <laughs> You've only been in very close contact with me for like the past week. Yeah, and have only had like an itchy sore throat for like three days, but... Uh, <laughs> We'll see. (laughs) Uh, Now it is time for us to love, Ian. Yes. Are you ready to love? Um, Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I'll ever be able to love again. Uh, This is the part of the story where Liz uh, leaves India and goes to Indonesia, specifically Bali. Yes. And she is returning there because she visited before at the beginning of the story in the in the movie it's really how the movie starts and in the book we're told about it that this happened previously before she went on this trip and she met medicine man there uh katut and he prophesied that she would return to bali and that she would you know spend time with him and that she would have a great time there so she's back she's like hi i'm hey katut like i'm back and he's like, who the hell are you? <laughs> <laughs> I love the way this began with him. You, you know, she has this, all this expectation built up about staying with this medicine man. And then he's like, I don't remember you at all. Yeah. I'm honestly convinced that he doesn't remember her. Because like, oh, then yeah. she tells him more about herself. And he's like, oh, the book writer from New York City. I remember you now. I'm convinced that he would just like <laughs> made it up and was like, oh, of course. Uh, obviously, I remember you now. Well, and he had given her this drawing he had done. Yeah. That was like a metaphor for like how you should live your life of like a person with four feet and like a flower for a head or something. And, yeah. And she was like, you gave me the photo or the drawing. And I'm like, he probably has like a hundred of those <laughs> that he just like gives to tourists or anyone. Um, 
But so she comes back and uh, he's like, yeah, no, of course you can stay. And like, I'll, I, I kind of forget their like specific arrangement. I know she's kind of, she's copying down some texts for him that are like, have been passed down through his family of this, you know, homeopathic kind of medicine treatments that he does for, and he also does like a lot of religious uh, rituals for people in Bali as well. Like she doesn't stay with him. She gets like ends up renting her own little like cottage in the area. She just kind of goes and hangs out with him. Yeah. And he like is helping to teach her different meditation styles and stuff. And they like chat, but there are also long stretches where she talks about how like she hasn't seen him for a while. Yeah. The, Movie kind of makes the translating or dictating of his notes kind of like a bigger thing, like almost her reason for staying. Yeah. Um, But really in the book, that's just like a one, like... She just kind of does it for him. Yeah, and it's just like once, you know, or a few times. It's like not a big deal, so... Yeah, I mean, I think this part is interesting because she talks a lot about the culture of Bali, which is really different from the rest of Indonesia. And I apologize if I'm getting any of this wrong because I'm just repeating what we read about in the book. Um, But Bali is a Hindu island, but the rest of Indonesia is mainly Muslim. Yeah. So it's totally, kind of totally separate from the rest of Indonesia. And like Liz talks about how uh, the Balinese people are supposed to be very like balanced, right? Yeah. Like they have the perfect balance between like working and pleasure and this very focused community aspect to their life. But I don't know. I'm not convinced that Bali is balanced in a way that's better than anywhere else. No, it's (laughs) certainly interesting. It's probably like the most like their customs and the way they view the world and stuff is like very, it feels unique and is like very interesting to read about. Yeah. But I'm not totally sure I'd, like, want (laughs) to stay there. Well, it's interesting, too, because in the book, she talks about how there's a a somewhat large community of, like, expats that live there. Oh, yeah. Whether they're from America or from other countries Mm -hmm. that are just kind of, like, living their vacation life in Bali because it's (laughs) cheap and, like, the tourist industry is, like, really important to the economy there. So they can kind of, like, live there, um, which is odd. And I think... Whenever I was reading about her interactions with people, I was viewing it through the lens that, like, the people there make their living off of tourism, yes. right? yeah. So, like, Katut, the medicine man, keeps saying, like, oh, tell all your friends to come here. I need to make more money, like, things like that. Yeah. She meets a woman, uh, Wayan, who is actually one of the rare Balinese people who has been divorced. And, like, her husband was abusive to her, and she ended up... Uh, divorcing him, even though it's very kind of against their culture. And um, now she's a single mother with her daughter. Yeah. And here's the thing is like the movie begins with this quote and it's in um, the book as well about a, a psychologist or a therapist who is talking to and trying to help refugees from a country yeah. who have just been through like some of the worst things you could possibly imagine. And Mm -hmm. she was like, I don't know how to help. I don't know if I'll know how to help these people or how to connect with them or relate to them. And then according to her, everyone who came to her was just like, 
oh, like, you know, I'm really in love with this man, but I don't know if he feels the same way. Yeah, or, like, it was, it was like, all relationship. Yeah, it was all relationship and, like, relatable things, and, like, they weren't talking about, like, the terrible atrocities they faced, but were rather, still like, you know, focused on the same things that, like, we're focused on, kind of. Mm-hmm. But, and, like, you know, the idea that, like, there isn't actually that much that, like, separates us from other people, which... I appreciate to a degree the sentiment of. Yeah. Because I do think it's true that, like, when you travel and you actually get to know people, like, you, there is a lot of relatability and things you can connect with. Mm-hmm. However, when you read this Bali part, their culture and customs and the way they view the world is so different than here in America. Yeah. That, like, I'm like, they definitely face problems or decisions that we would never have to think about yeah like for Wyan, like she has no uh family support like the bali community is all about family mm-hmm. like it's so family focused that your family is your number one support and now because Wyan is divorced she has no support she has no financial support she's um kind of running also like a healing business as well but she has her daughter to take care of. She's also adopted two other children yeah. in the book anyway. Um, and there's like no family that is helping her. And she's basically being like neglected by her family and then also the Balinese government. Like it doesn't seem like there's any government help for her either. <laughs> no, yeah. Yeah. So like and Liz gets the idea to raise money for her. Mm-hmm. So that they can buy a house for her and her daughter to live in. And that way she won't have to keep moving all over the place and taking her daughter out of school. And I do think this is a worthwhile thing. Um, But yeah, I agree with you. It's like we're suddenly in problems that we wouldn't have to normally face. Yeah. And I just think it's a little simplistic, especially because like the movie starts off that way as almost like a thesis statement. That, like, oh, my yeah. God, like, we all just have the same problems and issues. And, like, yeah, there's a lot that connects us. But, like, it seems a little overly simplistic to yeah. kind of take that approach with it. Um, I can't say that the book is making that same statement necessarily. No. Uh, but, yeah, the Balinese culture is, like, super fascinating in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, the The raising of the money, though. Yeah is interesting because the movie is just like, oh my God, she raised this money and like, thank you. And now we can have a home and Mm -hmm. this is so great. And you're like, wow, that's really touching. Yeah. And it's nice that we can just end there. But the (laughs) book uh, has a lot more about this. Yeah. Actually, Liz raises this money for Wyan and gives it to her. And then she's like, okay, like buy a house with it. And then Wyan doesn't buy a house she is like really chill about it like she has like no she's gonna get evicted soon yes yeah and like her life is like very unstable and but like this opportunity she's like not really that focused on she's Mm -hmm. like yeah like there are some places i looked at but they didn't have like good energies or like this place was by a river and like that everyone knows that's where ghosts are like she's very spiritual and that guides like a lot of her decision making yeah and then at one point she's telling liz like oh well this guy i really like his property but he has a lot of property and he doesn't want to like just sell me part of it he wants to sell me like all of it so i don't know i don't know if i could afford to buy like all of it and liz kind of realizes that 
Wyan is maybe trying to get more money out of her. Yeah. Because she's like, all right, this American woman has all this money that she's just going to give to me. Mm-hmm. Maybe she could give me more and then I could get even more. And the character of Felipe, who we'll, we'll talk about in a second, but like he tells her like, listen, he's like, don't take it personally. Yeah. Like it, it, it's more of a cultural thing that like she sees this opportunity and is like, I mean. Trying to go as far as she can with it. Basically. Yeah. And this is like really like a struggle for Liz because she ultimately has to like put a lot of pressure on Yan. She mm-hmm. tells Yan like, listen, I raised all this money for my friends and they're all asking where it went and like where are your houses and mm-hmm. like I have nothing to tell them. And, like, she even says she's going to have to take the money back if she yeah. can't find a place, which, of course, like, she couldn't do. She just, like, gave it to her. Yeah. And so this, like, forces Yann to, like, and, of course, immediately she's like, oh, I found a place. Yeah. <laughs> when, like, she actually, like, you know, when her feet were to the fire. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is a really interesting and complicated. Cultural difference. Yeah. And also reading that, I'm like, oh, my God. This is my fucking nightmare. This is so <laughs> truly like no good deed goes unpunished <laughs> when reading this. It's like this is terrifying. <laughs> yeah, and it does work out in the end, but it is kind of Liz having to set aside her ideas of like, oh, Wyan is my friend and she's a good person. and But like that doesn't mean that she's not going to try to like make the best possible situation out of what she's been given. You yeah. Know? I mean, they kind of live in a situation where it's like any opportunity you have to like jump on it basically and figure out how to get as much out of it as you can. And it's mm-hmm. like, I don't even know how like uh, conscious she was of do- yeah. why Anne was of doing this. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Uh, but yeah, it was something that it was like a learning curve for Liz. Yeah. Let's talk about Felipe, though. Felipe, played by Javier Bardem. <laughs> wow. Who's very charming. In very that. charming. Has he, I'm trying to think if he's ever been like a love interest like this in any other movie. I don't know. N- not that I've seen. Yeah. But he's very good. In oh, it. yeah. Liz ends up meeting at one of these expat parties that she's invited to. Ends up meeting Felipe. She also meets uh, Ian, who she's kind of interested in, but doesn't end up dating. No, and in the movie, there's this whole scene where they go down to, like, swim in the water at night, and he just strips in front of her, and she's just like, nah, I'm, I'm out. <laughs> in the movie, she gets hit by a bus, or by a car that Javier Bardem is driving. Yes, um, and that's how they first meet. That's how they first meet, and then she meets him again at a party. Uh, in the book, she just gets hit by a bus, and then is fine. <laughs> That's how, she, fine. that's how she meets Yan. so. I have to say, just briefly, that the, <laughs> the whole idea of, like, them healing you with, like... I know. ...herbs and... I mean, like, okay, I'm not, like, a simp for American pharmaceuticals or, like, the way we do things here, but the idea of going that far in the other direction of being, like, yeah, just rub some herb paste on my wound or, like... She gets a urinary tract infection. Yeah. And Yann just gives her, like, a soup to drink, and it, like, cures it. But I'm like, did it, though? (laughs) Here's the thing. I would try it. I would trust them. I would try it. I would, like, try it for a day or two and then do the other thing if it didn't work. I guess it depends on, like, what pressing situation you're in. Oh, yeah. If you're in, like, a life-threatening situation, (laughs) I'd be like, just airlift me to the nearest hospital. I don't want the soup. Get me to a hospital. (laughs) (laughs) No soup, only hospital. (laughs) 
Yeah, but anyway, back to Felipe. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's talk about Felipe. So he is Brazilian. Mm-hmm. He is living in Bali because he's conducting his business there. It's not really clear what his business is. No. Vague businessman. Vague businessman. Um, And he used to live in Australia and be married to an Australian woman. They had two kids. They were married for over 20 years. And now he is somewhat recently divorced. So he's definitely lived a multicultural life, kind of like what Liz, I think, wants her life to be, it feels like. Um, So they have a lot in common. They've both been divorced. Um, They both like this multicultural life that they've been living. He's like a good bit older than her, too, in real life. In the movie, Javier Bardem and... uh... Julia Roberts. Julia Roberts are like the same age. Yeah. Uh, but in real life, he was like 15 years older than her. Yeah. He was 52 and I think she was 35. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, but she is drawn to him. Mm-hmm. And at first they're kind of like, and I don't think we mentioned this, but she on this trip is like on her whole thing is supposed to be like totally celibate. Yeah. She just decided she didn't want to have any like flings or like relationships while she was, you know, in Italy or India or Indonesia. Uh, so at first, her relationship with Felipe is like, he's nice. I like yeah. hanging out with him. But she was really hesitant to like engage in anything physical with him. Mm-hmm. But then it does happen. But then she's like, <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> and they have lots of sex so much that she gets a urinary tract infection. So. Yes. <laughs> but uh, there's a part where in the film where Felipe's son comes to visit him. Yeah. I really loved this part. Me it just too. showed him. It just showed you what a good father he was. Yeah. And how much he cared about his son. The kind of very personable relationship he had with him. He makes him a mixtape. I know. Which I don't know why, but that was like the sweetest part of the whole thing. I know. When he says goodbye, he's like crying after he leaves. Yeah. He really, I like that he shows a lot of tenderness and I think this is what draws Liz to him. Yeah. A lot of this is from the book too. Just like him, he calls everybody darling. He's very affectionate. (laughs) And has a lot of love for his sons. And I think this is what really brings Liz to him. Yeah. Um, the climax of the movie, is there anything else worth mentioning about Indonesia? Yeah, I mean, I think that's basically it, right? Yeah, I mean, their their relationship just kind of, like, continues to grow. And in the book, they end up deciding, like, hey, maybe we can, like, make this work even yeah. though... You know, you live in America, I live in Bali, my mm-hmm. business is in Australia, and my son is too, And but, like, maybe we can make something work from it. Yeah. Um, in the film, we get a brief moment of conflict mm-hmm. where he wants to go on a trip with her, and for some reason she's like, no, I can't do that. What? Are you crazy? I can't. What? I don't love, like, yeah. what? <laughs> I don't love you. This is too much. And, of course, we have to get, like... A drama scene where she's like, I can't do this. And then Katoot gives her advice about being unbalanced for love being a balanced thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever. Whatever he says. Yeah. It, uh, it's, I, I get the desire to create a emotional conflict at the end or some type of like hurdle, some kind of final hurdle she has to cross yeah. to embrace love again. Uh, but it does feel a little bit forced. Yeah. Like, I wasn't at that point in the movie, or in the book yet, when we watched the movie, but mm-hmm. I remember thinking, like, this doesn't feel... Like the book. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's fine, and and I get wanting to have, like, a little bit of a romantic kind of I choose you moment. Yeah. Um, especially for her after 
everything she's experienced in her romantic relationships, like she has been afraid to love again. She's been afraid to make herself vulnerable and to be in love after the experiences that she's had. So I do get wanting to to give us something a little more. The book has her kind of reflecting a lot on her life and deciding mm-hmm. to take a chance with Felipe and to have a relationship with him. Um, but that that ends the story. And before we decide which one's better, I do just want to talk about the author, Elizabeth Gilbert, a little. Please, yes. Because she's had a really interesting life. So um, after this book came out, she and Felipe, whose real name is Jose, mm. um, were together for many years. And I don't think that they wanted to get married, but he could not live with her in the U.S., without them being married. So they got married. And I think it was sort of like a, all right, we'll get married type thing. And she wrote a whole book about it, apparently. Like, she did. I haven't read it. I almost said, like, (laughs) allegedly. allegedly. (laughs) As if, like, she didn't. I just mean, like, she wrote a whole book about it. I haven't read it. Called Committed, um, about choosing to, you know, get married, even though she wasn't really a fan, I think, of marriage in general. Yeah. And then they were married for several years, I think they were together maybe like 15, 10 years. Okay. 10 years. Um, And then they decided to get divorced. And it came out a little bit after the divorce that she divorced Jose because she realized that she was in love with one of her best friends, a woman named uh, Raya Elias. Mm. And apparently she realized that she was in love with her when Raya received a cancer diagnosis. And this, it's so he- like this whole story is like so heavy. So here's the, here's the situation. Like she has this really great friend. She finds out her friend has cancer and is suddenly like, I love her and I want to be with her and I want to be with her before it's too late. So she leaves her husband. They get divorced and she's with Raya for about two years until Raya's death from cancer, which is insane to me. That I I know, like that's <laughs> it's like so much to even like think about and absorb. Yeah. After that, she is with uh, another man who was a close personal friend of Raya. The the two of them, Liz and this uh, friend of Raya have a relationship for about a year, um, but then they, too, uh, break up. And Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if it was to try to just be close with someone who knew the person that she had just lost, you know, as almost like a coping strategy. But she specifically talked about how she doesn't really believe in marriage and commitment isn't, like, really her thing. Um, But I find her story just very, very interesting. Here's the thing that, like, I take away from that entire post eat pray love arc yeah and that's just like you know i think when we're reading eat pray love there's something about it that feels like oh my god she's like figuring her life out yeah she's figuring out what she wants she's done right yes like she she fell in love with the the handsome tender man man at the end like things are great but this is a real person like that was a memoir and her life continued after that and like I think it's good to be aware that she continued to evolve and change. And Mm -hmm. that, like, you know, a story like Eat, Pray, Love is very romantic in a way in terms of, like, 
self-discovery and figuring out what you want out of life. But Mm -hmm. like... That's going to keep changing. It's going to keep going and it's going to keep happening. I mean, I would have said that at the end of this book that Liz was a very like self-actualized person that knew what she wanted, was in tune with her desires. But like, how do you explain waking up one day and realizing that you're in love with your best friend? Like, (laughs) I'm sure it shocked her just as much as it shocked a lot of other people in her life, you know? Like... Life just happens, and I do think it is a good reminder that, like, she has not figured it out. She's yeah. not, like, solved it, you know? No, like, no. she's still struggling. She's still striving. She's still working on herself and doing the best that she can, just like we all are. Yeah. So I, I think it's good to keep in mind, if you ever, you know, are reading this book and feeling, like, bad about yourself, or like, man, I wish I was figuring out my life. In Italy. In Italy, <laughs> in this way. And it's like... <laughs> Yes, we all do. We all want to be doing that. But, like, um, we all have our different paths of figuring things out. And it's never over, no matter what. Definitely. So, which one's better? Oh, Jesus. Um, I think... Fuck. um, (laughs) If you know, go ahead. Okay. Well, I think I'm going to say the book. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with the movie. I just feel like the book goes in a lot more detail and is more interesting. And despite the dense bit in India, there are some good parts still in that India part that I enjoyed. Um, And, like, the movie is fine and it's entertaining, but, like, I don't really know how much I got from the movie. I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. I was also thinking book, but then I remembered the India part. And I was like, ugh. But I, I still think there's enough interesting stuff in the book mm-hmm. uh, that is, you know, worthwhile. I loved the Italy part. The Indonesia part was, like, really interesting. And like yeah. you said, there's still parts in India and the ashram yeah. that are interesting. It's just very dense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I listened to this on audiobook, by the way, and she narrates it, and I think she does a pretty good job. So, yeah. um, you know, if you're thinking about picking this one up, that's a good format for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, no, I, I agree. I'm going to go with book as well. Yeah, and I mean, I still am a little mixed on the book, but I do think overall I enjoyed it. Like, I I have some criticisms, but I do think it was a good story. Neither the book or the movie was as cringy as I was expecting. Yeah. And, you know, we also don't have the context to, I think, properly identify problems that may exist in the book or movie. Like, someone from India or from Indonesia might read this and be like, oh my God, this gets so much wrong. That's true. Or like, you know, this is such an American view of Mm -hmm. our life or, you know what I mean? Like there could be- More valid criticism. For sure that like we're not picking up on. Um, So it's hard to like judge it too much from that point of view, but it didn't feel as much like white person finding themselves in a foreign country that like totally neglects like the history and cultures. And Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? It's- I think she treats it more than just a, uh, like, a set or a prop. Yeah. And I, I do think she does a good job of contextualizing everything as being like, this is my experience here. Yeah. This isn't, like... I'm not trying to give you, a his- like, the definitive history of this area. Yeah, or, like, how to change your life or anything like that. So yeah. I think, for the most part, it did a pretty good job of covering its tracks in that way. I agree. So it's a book for both of us. Yeah. Let's do a lightning. Let's do it. 
Okay, so first off for lightning round, she doesn't want to sleep with Felipe for a really long time because she's like, I have to stay celibate. I don't need to like get involved with anybody. Yeah. But she's finding him very sexy, right? <laughs> and it's hard to resist. So one night she's like, oh my God, I'm so horny. So she fries up potatoes for herself. <laughs> She's like, I know what I need. <laughs> Honestly, this is a very Adina move, but I would never <laughs> use it as for a substitute for sex. I would just be like, I need potatoes. Just the frying potatoes. Just the frying potatoes thing. But it doesn't work for her. So she decides to masturbate. And I just have to read you a part of the book from this, this section. So she's talking about masturbation. And she said... Uh, I was getting a little sick of like the whole masturbation thing. Still tonight in my restless state, what else could I do? The potatoes hadn't worked. <laughs> so I had my way with myself yet again. As usual, my mind paged through its backlog of erotic files, looking for the right fantasy or memory that would help get the job done fastest. But nothing was really working tonight. Not the firemen, not the pirates, not that pervy old Bill Clinton standby scene that usually does the trick. Not even the Victorian gentlemen crowding around me in their drawing room with their task force of nubile young maids. In the end, the only thing that would satisfy was when I reluctantly admitted into my mind the idea of my good friend from Brazil climbing into this bed with me on me. <laughs> I'm just like, what? What? <laughs> I know we all have our, our things, right? Like, What? So much of that is like, <laughs> like cheesy role playing. Like yeah. I'll be the fireman and yeah. you be in distress. And then or, it's like Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton. <laughs> and then Victorian Jen. I don't even know what that part. I was. don't either. I don't know what she's describing. I don't know. It was so funny. Like, is it an orgy? Yeah. Go back to the potatoes, girl. Yeah. <laughs> Think about the potatoes. <laughs> um. There's this part in the Indonesia section that is so wild. <laughs> Felipe and Liz are talking to Yan. And Yan's explaining all of the different things that she does for the people in the town. And one of them is if uh, a couple is experiencing infertility. Mm -hmm. And she has all kinds of things that she can do like for the woman. Yeah. But she's like, if it's the man who's uh, infertile, there's like nothing I can do because like it's culturally kind of not taboo, but like a man would never admit that anything could be wrong with him. And I yeah. can't even imply that. Yeah. So if I think that there's something wrong with the man, there's little I can do. Except the wife comes in and then she recruits a local stud from the town to fuck her. Yeah. <laughs> to get her pregnant. She's like, oh, your wife have to has to come in for these special treatments. <laughs> Sex sessions. <laughs> and they're like, what? what? And she's like, I mean, yeah, I that's do it all like, the, she's like, I do it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, literally, if the man can't admit to having a problem that I can fix, what else will we do? Because like, if the woman will never have a child, like, you know, he could leave her. He could like, yeah. I mean, like, you know, her options are so limited. So she's like, best thing I can do is get her fucked and pregnant. <laughs> and they're just like, why Anne? Are you serious? And she's like, yeah, sure. It's like not a big deal. <laughs> she's like, also, I make dildos. <laughs> she's like, also, I don't even usually have to pay the men to fuck the women. Yeah, like, they're just happy to do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Next for lightning round, I just want to mention this part in the movie where Elizabeth Gilbert actually meets David, uh, who is performing the play, right? And it's using one of her stories. And it's funny because it's a scene where... 
she's in the audience and, you know, James Franco David is on stage. And she looks at him and, like, he's got this light shining behind him. Yeah. Like, almost he's, like, angelic. Like, it's almost like God is shining a light down on him being, like, he's the one. And then at when this is happening, when she's, like, literally falling in love with him before our eyes, the person who's probably, like, playing a version of her on stage, like the woman, yeah. is reading these lines that are actually lines from the book where she says... Like, I give myself completely to the men that I'm with, mm-hmm. and I just invest myself totally. Like, I give up everything, and I kind of become them and let them take over me until, like, I have nothing left, and I have to, like, abandon them and start over with someone else. And, like, as she's saying those <laughs> words, the light comes on behind Julia Roberts. Yeah. And so it's her and David, like, shining at each other yeah. and then falling in love, but clearly setting up how bad this relationship is going to be right from the beginning. Meanwhile, the woman speaking is like, no. <laughs> don't do it. Don't. It's just masterful uh, storytelling visually. Yeah, I thought that was like done. Like from the beginning, they're like, this isn't going to be good. <laughs> this isn't going to, it's not good. Yeah. Um. Finally for Lightning Run, there's another thing from Indonesia that I thought was like so interesting. And it's this um, custom when a couple has a child the child cannot touch the ground. Yes. For the first six months that it's alive. Yeah. Like, it either has to be in, like, a crib, I'm guessing, or, mm-hmm. like, being held or, like, in a pack of some kind. Uh, and until it's six months, because, like, I guess they think that the child is, like, channeling God mm-hmm. or is a God and, like, you wouldn't put God on the ground, like, on the dirty ground. So, yeah. like, that's the idea behind it. But then at six months, they have, like... Uh, little ceremony mm-hmm. where like uh Katoot like you know will have the kid and like say prayers over him and then they like mark out like a spot on the ground where they're like this is where we're gonna plop the baby down right yeah. here <laughs> and then they put a dummy baby down first so the demons can go after that one first <laughs> yes. and then they it's safe to put the real baby down <laughs> it was just so wild and yeah. interesting to read about I love it it's like kind of like a different idea of like a baptism or something yeah yeah, yeah. no I thought it was great <laughs> so that's lightning round and that wraps up our episode definitely a shorter one this time but I think uh, Ian and I both appreciated it <laughs> I yes like we knew naturally it would be a shorter episode yeah and then we were fine with that and then we were very tired <laughs> we were we decided not to fight it uh thank you so much for listening um if you would like uh more content like bonus episodes uh you can join us on patreon mm-hmm. join us at any tier for access to bonus episodes our discord uh monthly schedules things like that also, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook and mm-hmm. Instagram. You can leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts. That would help other people find our podcast so they can listen too. And thank you so much for supporting us and listening to us this year. It has not been that great of a year, but it's been a great year for the podcast. Yes. (laughs) And isn't that all that matters at the end of the day? Truly. The podcast. Yes. (laughs) But seriously, thank you so much for listening. It makes everything we do feel worthwhile. And every time one of you reaches out to us and just says like, oh, I love this episode or I was interested in what you were talking about, it really makes our day and it makes it feels so worth it to us so thank you all so much for listening yeah please don't hesitate to message or email us yeah uh thanks for listening and we'll see you next year see you next year bye Bye.